Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sattery, joined by a special co-host this time around. We don't, we don't have Brennan Clean today, but we have David Nash uh, at the Four Point Play on Twitter. He is a co-host of one of my favorite Suns podcasts outside of Locked On, Seven Seconds or Less podcast, and you can follow him over there, like I said, at the Four Point Play. So, David, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Evan. How are you? Doing good, doing good. I know it's really early over there in Australia, so I appreciate the time. I think it's around 8 a.m., you said, so... We'll, we'll, we'll ease you in a little bit here, and let's talk about really quick. I'm excited also, I forgot to mention there, that you also have recently joined Bright Side of the Sun. I'm excited to have you on as a, co, as a co-writer alongside me. It's going to be really fun to have you, me and you collaborate on a lot of stories. But your first story you wrote, I believe it was last week, was about DeAndre and his overall performance. It was a really good article from you, and it really went into really good detail as well about his overall how he did in the PNR and pick and roll on offense and defense. So we can start off with that. I'll bring up the numbers real quick. Going from the offensively with DeAndre, and you calculate 106 minutes for DeAndre, and 73 pick and roll possessions with 79 points scored. Eight in points was 29. Teammate points was 50 and wide open misses, which is a lot at 24. So we spoke on it a lot in, through Twitter DMs with Max McCauley, also the other coast of Seven Seconds or Less podcast. But I guess we can bring on the podcast airwaves now, but just – What's your overall thoughts of DeAndre Ayn and the gravity effect he's had? Because that's something that you and Max told me before that I didn't really catch on before. And after seeing him in Summer League, it's very, very obvious that effect he has, and it's going to be immediate on the main roster as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I um, I don't love watching Summer League basketball, so I really focused on Aiden um, and, and didn't pay too much attention to anybody else, to be perfectly honest. Um you know, I, I was interested to see how Bender and Jackson were going to go and, and obviously guys like Mikel Bridges as well. But um, I really just wanted to see what they were going to do with Aiton. And then, um, you know, from what I was seeing and then from what I was seeing people say about his game um, kind of really motivated me to write this story because I thought, um, you know, there was a pretty wide gulf between, you know, what the general NBA fan thought of how Aiton was going at Summer League versus, versus what I did, which is... Uh, yeah, why I tried to put some work in with the with the numbers and video breakdowns. Now, I know you tweeted this yesterday. I found it really interesting. But do you see like the Ben Simmons effect happening with DeAndre? And as far as when we saw Ben Simmons at LSU, it was a guy like, oh, he's just lazy. He just wants to get out of college. And then once he got to the pros after his year of sitting out with an injury, he showed really quickly how capable he is defensively. Do you think we're going to see a similar impact from DeAndre in, or do you think it's be more of like a, a learning process under Igor? I think it's definitely going to be a learning process for Aiden. I think big guys definitely, you know, tend to take longer. But, um, you know, my, my comparison with Simmons was just uh, I'm noticing that there's a lot of, uh, you know, generic use of lines in criticisms of Aiden at the moment, um, very similar to what I saw against Simmons. Um, and, you know, two years in or, or one rookie year in for Simmons, if we want to get technical, um, you know, everyone's kind of saying, oh, now it's so obvious that he just didn't care at LSU and he was just waiting to get to the pros and now he's turned it on. And, um, you know, I, I see very similar comparisons with Aiton there. I'm not saying that I'm going to be right. I just say that um, I think, you know, people should be wary a little bit because I think, you know, when you read summaries of Aiton, um, you know, my tweet yesterday was was in direct reaction to a an article that was written by a pretty major NBA site, kind of redrafting the the uh, 2008 draft class, 2018 sorry draft class already. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of noting that you know people are willing to talk in big detail about what Aiton is good at, and then they kind of have these sweeping. Um, generic statements about what he's bad at in terms of his focus and his 
uh, you know, general defense and and thing and his motor and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was just a a note of caution from me because I, I definitely noticed a lot of similar things to what was said about Simmons that he ultimately uh, proved to be incorrect very quickly in his in his early NBA career. Now we've seen obviously some local names throughout like Hakeem Olajuwon and really Shaquille O'Neal as well. I know DeAndre's even put out Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq and Kobe 2.0 with Devin Booker. Some people are saying he's going to have really elite efficiency right off the bat, but I've been trying to temper expectations just a little bit for the for the listeners just because I feel like, he, like we mentioned, he's going to have a little bit of a learning curve under Igor. I think that's a good thing because Igor is going to teach him the fundamentals, the correct ways of doing it. But I know we watched a lot of Luka Doncic at Real Madrid last year, and obviously they didn't pick him into Dallas, but we watched also a lot of DeAndre at University of Arizona. Just what stood out to you as far as his defensive capabilities at Arizona? And then when you saw him at Summer League, what was different with that? Obviously, he wasn't next to a guy like Dusan Ristich or Keanu Pender down low. He was playing mostly power forward. But what was your overall expectations mm-hmm. from that? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the you know the summary of my, my article, that you know the, my first one for Brightside, which I should say very excited to write for Brightside. I've been a reader for a long, long time. So um, it, it was very cool for Dave to ask me to contribute. So... Um, yeah, with this first story, I, you know, the summary that I essentially got to is, and hopefully that readers got to when when looking at it was, you know, he's he was doing things in summer league that he's just hasn't done in his you know very short career to date. He was put through a lot of pick and roll possessions on both sides of the ball. Um, the results weren't amazing, but they were far from bad. Also, and um, probably particularly on offense, um, you know, resulted in scores for or open shots for his teammates rather than for him himself and you know with better guard play and things and and more focus for Aiton I think you know that'll get better with time but you know on the defensive end I think again everyone um you know is there's pretty much a consensus view that he moves his feet laterally very well for a guy of his size he's very explosive for a guy of his size leaping excuse me but um you know, then it's kind of, you know, then summarized by saying he's still bad on defense. And um, I think he has the tools and, and I'm very excited for him to be with a guy like Igor because, um, you know, they showed in summer league, they're not afraid to put him through some challenging situations. And that's just going to make DeAndre's learning curve, you know, all that's much more steeper. So um, I think he has the tools. There are some concerns around focus and things from the weak side, but in terms of defending the pick and roll, which... You know, again, as I noted in my article, is pretty much a major part of NBA basketball now, and, and you need to be able to play on both sides of the ball in the pick and roll. So for DeAndre, I think he has the tools. He's learning very quickly what he's supposed to do. Um, and even in his very short summer league stint, I think, you know, by eye view, he was very, very good. And then the stats seemed to back it up. Um, there weren't too many times that guards attacked him off the pick and roll. Uh, he managed to stay in front of guys most of the time. He made the correct rotations most of the time. Um, he didn't get, you know, the big block counting stats that guys like Jaron Jackson and, and Wendell Carter got. But if you really break down the film on, particularly in the pick and roll, he just played really sound defense. And, um, you know, there was a number of times even guys like, you know, notable NBA players already like Dennis Smith Jr. just refused to attack him off the pick and roll because he's just such a large guy that they couldn't get around. I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you that next. So about like the physicality factor with DeAndre Ayton because like you know with Dennis Smith, he was sort of cautioning himself to going inside after he kind of went through the Ayton wall the first time around. Then against Orlando, we saw 
Jonathan Isaac, a second-year pro, who I think is going to have a really good future in the NBA. But he went through the eight and wall a couple times. He got up against him, and it seemed like after a couple times, he was shying away from contact. So did that kind of throw you off, at least in a positive way, that Aiton's just sheer physicality and his strength, he's already a really developed NBA body. Is that going to translate, you imagine, just very early on to his NBA career? Maybe not early on. He, he certainly needs to improve. I think... You know, real NBA-ready guys are going to learn very quickly that they can attack him um, and that he isn't that physical. I think one thing that we showed from Summer League and from his college play is that he definitely needs to get more physical and realise, you know, just how big he is and what that can mean on the NBA floor. But certainly for Summer League competition, they were just, um, you know, not prepared to attack him very often, particularly in the pick and roll. And I think that was a major reason why the Suns, you know, went out to three, three and zero. Oh. Um, it, it didn't have great counting stats for him or for the team. But you know, if you just watch the plays develop, particularly teams like Dallas that attacked him early on in the pick and roll, they kind of went away from that late in the game because they weren't getting the results that they expected. So, you know, for summer league, he certainly held his own. He obviously needs to improve, and you would hope that he is going to improve. And therefore, that may not translate straight away to the NBA, but with some improvement um, in his physicality and the way he plays, um, I think it can definitely translate eventually in the NBA where he does become that kind of guy who, um, you know, teams avoid in the paint because he is just such a large human um, and he does actually have very good tools to play good defense. And I think that's overlooked sometimes. Yeah, that's what I really love about the Igor hire. I know you were actually right out in front of the gates, in front of everyone, even me and the rest of the writers, about Igor was your guy straight from when they let Jay Triano go. And then if you want to go follow David on Twitter at the Four Point Play, he has a penned tweet up there about his thread from Igor a couple months ago. And it's some really, really good stuff. It goes it goes a little bit, and it's a really int- intricate detail about Igor's system and all that. So I'm just going to pivot over to that section really quick. Just what's your overall thoughts on Igor and what stood out to you when you were watching all that film from Eurobasket, from those coaching clinics? Why did he stand out so quickly to you as this is the guy that the Suns need to hire? I think just watching Suns basketball for the last few years, um, you know, particularly under Earl Watson, I think, you know, I'm sympathetic towards Jay Triano because I think he was put in a pretty tough position as the interim coach. Uh, I don't think he did a great job, but I also don't think he was, uh, you know, given a, a great job to, to begin with. But particularly with Earl Watson, I think, you know, there was a lot of predictability in what Earl did. Um, and I didn't particularly love the way that he developed the young guys either, whereas Igor is kind of the antithesis of that. He, you know, all the plays that he runs are, are very fluid. Um, you know, there's lots of footage of Igor where, you know, he is breaking down a lot of his typical, you know, plays on offense. And it's a very much a, and then you go to this, and then you go to this, and then you go to this. And um, there's kind of four or five actions within the one play that he calls that allows the players to, you know, have fun with it, but also allows them to have a little bit of flexibility with with how defenses read things. Uh, I think with Earl, in particular on the court, I think Earl was very limited in what he was, you know, getting the players to do, and you know, he was also limited talent wise um, with what he had at his disposal, no doubt. But yeah, you know, I think Igor is just exciting because he brings particularly an offensive style that. Um, you know, really spreads the floor and allows multiple options. Um, and, you know, I think early on we have to be a little bit cautious. I think, you know, even Igor notes when he's kind of teaching these things, he'll probably only stick to 
you know, a limited amount of actions, probably like what we saw at Summer League after, you know, just a few mini camps to teach these guys. But, you know, as time goes on, we'll see more and more wrinkles added to things. And that'll be really exciting, I think, as Suns fans is kind of watching this team grow under Igor. Yeah. Um, from a from a development standpoint, I think he, again, is very anti Earl Watson. It was kind of the summary to that first eight in the article. I, I just, I really struggled to think that Earl Watson would have played DeAndre Ayton the way that Igor did at Summer League. I think there would have been a lot more force feeding Ayton, trying to get his numbers up, trying to get his confidence up, you know, really playing to this, um, you know, narrative that he's the number one pick and needs to go out there and dominate. Um, maybe that's unfair on Earl. That's just my read on it. But uh, with Igor, I think, you know, again, not to keep harping back on my article, but, you know, really what I was trying to ram home there is that they were prepared for him to fail. They were prepared to challenge him. They were prepared to, um, you know, put him through the pick and roll on, on both ends of the floor, not hide him and, um, you know, really try and get him reps, reps that he just didn't have in college. Um, I was even astounded when I, you know, found the numbers on that. I think I expected them to be low, but just, you know, the fact that, in four summer league games, he almost, um, you know, went over and above the reps that he got in, you know, I think 1,200 minutes in college just shows that he is very much a work in progress. And I guess touching back on what you mentioned earlier about his own Shaq comparisons and kind of what the media have thrown out there for him, I think both sides haven't, you know, really done him any favours in making the you know, general fan base understand that he's going to be very much a work in progress and isn't just going to come in and dominate the league from the start. Yeah, I really think that realistically I'd expect him to be somewhere along the lines of like 15 points, 10 rebounds. I think like 25 and 12, something like that's a little unrealistic, obviously, for a rookie. But I want really quickly, another thing in your article I really enjoyed was going into more detail about Igor's overall defensive schemes. I know you mentioned the Channel 2 defense, his preferred pick and roll coverage. So, how how is that fair for not only DeAndre Ayton, but also guys like Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, Dragon Bender even? Because these guys, if we're if we're including Jay Trout on that, for Devin Booker's four-year career, Igor's now his fourth coach in four, four years. So how do you think that his defensive schemes, his offensive schemes, really his overall package is going to mesh with guys like Booker and Jackson and Bender? I think, again, it's just going to give them a really clear understanding of what's expected of them on the floor. Um to touch on the defensive side and the, and the channel two stuff. Um, I probably should note that, you know, this is just my read on it and I could be totally wrong. I think we saw a lot of it in summer league that certainly, um, you know, gives us a window into the fact that I, I should hopefully be correct in my guess that they're going to, you know, play the pick and roll in this way. But, um, you know, when the regular season comes, we might see them do a few different things on that end. But I think when you have a guy like Deandre in the middle, um, as Eagle noted in some of the videos in that article, I think it, it is the preferred coverage. Um, one video I didn't put in there, which may turn up in my next article on Brightside for, for something else that I'm going to do is, you know, Eagle really noted early on in that clip that, um, you know, NBA front offices these days are all about shooting threes and finishing at the rim. And, you know, defense is no different than when you've got to approach it on the defensive end, you, you know, you want to stay with the shooters deep and you want to protect the rim. Um, so the Channel 2 defense essentially notes that you have to give up something, and if we're going to give up something, we're going to give up the middle. So, you know, mid-range shots. So the, the center in the Channel 2 really drops back and, and protects the rim. 
which I think is great for a guy like Aiden. He's not a natural rim protector. He's the kind of guy that needs the, um, you know, the action to really be funneled towards him. And then he can kind of just use his sheer size and tools to, you know, disrupt shots. So I think personally, it's the perfect coverage from his standpoint. Uh, it allows the guards to, you know, really fight over screens and, and contain the ball. But, you know, even I think we saw in Summer League, when the guards failed to do that, whether there was a really good screen set or, or the guard just didn't try hard enough to fight through a screen. Um, Aiton did a really good job of kind of shifting his feet, moving over laterally to shade the point guard a little bit and allow guys like Harrison and that to get back into the play and then, um, you know, slide back over to his man coverage uh, with the center rolling to the paint. Uh, there was, you know, probably quite a few clips where if it was the NBA, they would have got... Um, you know, attacked a little better and Aiton probably would have been a bit late getting over to his man. But again, it's summer league. There's going to be, you know, better players on the floor on, on both sides. So, you know, Aiton might not need to, to cover, hopefully, um, you know, the guards shifting over as much as what he had to in summer league. Although having said that, the Suns have been a pretty poor defensive team overall for a while. So, um, yeah, that that's a watch this space one, I think. Yeah, I think in the last five years, if I'm correct on that, they've been bottom five in defensive rating, I think ever since 2013-14. But I guess we can pivot over to another topic here, and that's also just the overall roster at hand. They got Trevor Ariza on July 1st, I think within the first 15 minutes of the beginning, one-year $15 million contract. And I was actually a pretty big fan of that. I know, I believe you were as well. But what is a guy like Trevor Ariza going to do to guys like Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, TJ Warren? Because those are obviously four guys who need a lot of minutes, but if we're thinking about more in the modern sense that we should probably see a lot of in, in and out lineups where TJ's at the four, Josh at the two and the three, Mikhail at the three and the four, even the two sometimes Booker can play, Booker can play two and two and the three as well. So how do you see this wing rotation shaking out for the Suns? I think it's a good thing that's going to happen for them. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good thing. I think a lot of people, a lot of smart people have noticed that, you know, the, the NBA is moving towards, you know, being a wing-heavy league, and, and the Suns have definitely struggled uh, on both sides of the floor with wings in the past. You know, we've had a lot of good NBA wings put up, you know, career highs and massive numbers on us, um, and we've really struggled to have scorers and, and shooting on that end um, as well. So, you know, I, I definitely don't think it's a bad thing. I don't get bogged down in the kind of positional stuff as much as some others maybe do, um, I guess, my philosophy on that is I can very much picture that when Igor took the job, he just said to McDonough and Sava, get me basketball players. Just get me guys that I can be confident are going to play solid on both ends of the floor for me out there and, and I'll work out the rest. That's kind of the coach that he is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of lineups where, you know, three or four of those guys are all out there together Um you know, maybe with Booker playing a little bit of point, which is another thing I've no, I've kind of noted. I, I don't expect him to be playing a lot of point guard, but, you know, maybe in kind of late-game situations and stuff where they realise that they really just need some size out there on the defensive end, they might throw Booker the ball to, to run the point and, and not have to play a Brandon Knight or, or someone like that. But, yeah, I think coming back to your question, I, I, I don't see a problem with it. I think whenever you get a chance to add a guy like Ariza, particularly with not killing your kind of future cap flexibility um you have to take it so you know eagle will be excited to just have lots of guys that he can play and, and and something i've been really ramming home on twitter is if you look at the depth chart at the moment i think 
you know, whilst the overall talent isn't obviously of some of the top teams in the league, I think it is a really deep roster. Um, and I, I don't expect it to change too much before the start of the season. But I think there may still be a trade or two or, a, um, you know, a waving of a player and bringing somebody else in. So, you know, I just really expect it to be a bit of a change in culture to what we're used to over the last few years. And I think that will definitely be on the defensive end. I think um, whilst he's known as an offensive coach, uh, Igor himself notes that, you know, he doesn't like, um, you know, single-minded coaches or or that term being labelled against anyone because I think you need to be able to understand both sides of the ball to be a really good coach in the NBA. Um, So he's just going to give them a really simple structure to play good defence and there's going to be more of an emphasis on it. I think, you know, what you said about the Suns having poor defensive teams for the last five or six years is purely because we just haven't had a culture or coaches who've really preached playing good defence. And uh, Eagles definitely uh, the opposite to that. So, you know, talent only gets you so far, but I would definitely expect to see a, a much improved effort on the on the defensive end this year from the Suns. Yeah, when you do look at that depth chart, it seems like guys like Marquise, Christian, Dragon, Ben are going to have to earn their way to get playing time, which is how, how it really should have been last year. But there was a lack of talent all around the roster. But one guy who I think hasn't gotten much attention on this podcast over the past few months and kind of flew out on the radar as he probably prefers to be, and that's TJ Warren. It's going to be really interesting when we get to September around when they're in Flagstaff or training camp, how that, that starting small forward spot's going to go. Because I feel like Josh Jackson's probably going to be the guy that they want to have start, but... If TJ Warren is kind of improves his jump shot in training camp, or at least shows some semblance of a three point shot, do you think that's more realistic that he could start over Josh Jackson at the beginning of the season, and then Josh has to earn his way back? And then also, I'll throw a part two here on you as well. But do you think maybe when you look at that depth chart even more, that TJ his most realistic his most realistic spot is going to be as a small ball four? Yeah, it's interesting. You're kind of teasing my next article on Brightside, which I'm currently working on, which is, is definitely all centered around TJ Warren there. So thanks very much for uh, giving me a leg up there. But, um, you know, I put, a, I put a poll out on Twitter this week, um, which got a fair amount of votes to give a pretty good indication of the, of the fan base. And I think, you know, roughly 70% of the Suns fans would prefer that TJ come off the bench. Um, I've definitely been in that camp in the past. I definitely think his game is suited to being a kind of, you know, uber six man off the bench. And if you can get him to, um, you know, buy into that, I think that's his best role in the NBA. But uh, for this upcoming season and this roster, I, I'm starting to lean the other way a little bit. Um, I won't, I won't give away too much. Hopefully, there'll be some nice content in there for the for the listeners to, um, you know, understand my my thoughts on this you know, next week. But um, I will say that I just think with, you know, it was a limited sample size, but with the way that Josh Jackson played in summer league, um, with the way that the roster is currently constructed, I could see TJ starting um, and Eagle doing some interesting things to kind of make that work. Um, obviously, everyone has noted with Eagle that he loves shooters and would prefer to have, you know, five shooters on the court if he can. But, you know, he's also noted many times that he'll work with, the roster that he's got and, and come up with some interesting ways to hopefully fit a guy like TJ in who, you know, for all his negative notes is a 20 point scorer in the NBA currently. And the Suns kind of need that talent in their starting lineup, I think. So I'm kind of leaning that way at the moment. Um, I think 
particularly with Ariza starting as well, there are some interesting things they can do on offense to make sure that there's still enough shooting around uh, the ball carrier. And then with defense, they could do some you know interesting switchy things as well that kind of you know cover some of the bigger power forwards in the league because that's where you know if you're starting Ariza and TJ Warren, you might get in a little bit of trouble defensively. But um, just talent, I think, is kind of the overarching thing for me here and. You know, when you look at that depth chart, as you noted before, I think guys like Bender and Chris are really going to have to earn their minutes this year. And uh, I, I think that's a good thing. It, that kind of fits in with the culture change that I've been talking about as well. Um, it, it's kind of time for these guys to grow up a little bit. Um, and again, why Igor, I think, in one of his first meetings with the front office would have just said, give me talent, give me as many NBA-ready players as you can, and, um, you know, I'll sort the rest out, so to speak, and... You know, part of that will be that some of these guys won't get to play sometimes. Um, I think that's why we saw Dudley get traded. He kind of noted on the on the watch pod that um, you know he just needs to play this year, and it was very obvious to him that he wasn't going to get on the court. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think we're going to see some fights for some positions that have essentially just been given to people in the last couple of years, and I think eventually particularly under the right culture and and somebody handling that i think that's gonna have positive results for the suns now two guys who i think are really in for their biggest years of their career so far and even though a lot of people have kind of given up on these two already they're only 20 years old still marquis chris just turned 21 dragon better be 21 in november but how big of a year is it for those two guys because we could see obviously chris and benner both play four and five either spot as well but if they both are kind of in a position where they don't, they show the slight flashes, they're like not significantly improved that much through an A2 game sample size. What do you do if you're Ryan McDonough in that situation? Do you just let them go for, for cap? Or because I know they have a decision coming up in October about their team options, but I think we're both in agreement that they should pick both those options up. But how do you think that's going to go for them this season? And what happens to them if they don't really improve that much? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you. You know, there's there's always certain circumstances, but I'm not a fan of not picking up fourth team options on guys that you you know took this high in the draft. Um, I think this off season has maybe skewed things a little bit. I think next off season there's going to be a lot more money. So, you know, a lot of people look at what Chris and Bender are going to be earning next year and kind of go, we should just not pick up their option, and you know, you can get a really good NBA player for that four or five million. Um, I think that'll be slightly different next off-season because there's going to be a lot more money floating around so you won't get those same bargains that we've seen in this off-season with you know guys like Isaiah Thomas taking the minimum and um, you know guys signing for around that four or five million mark that you'd expect to get more in the ten million dollar range so that would be my first point on that I definitely unless things went you know was just a disaster this year I would be picking up both of their options um, I think it's interesting that um you know, with Holmes coming in, I kind of had Bender playing a lot of backup four minutes this year and Chris probably being the main backup five. With Holmes coming in, that probably changes things a little bit for Marquise Chris and maybe, it, as we were discussing before, it becomes more of a, a fight between Bender and Chris to see who can pick up the majority of the minutes at the four uh, between the two of them. So, again, that's healthy. I don't think that's a bad thing that one of them may not be playing because at the end of the day... And I've touched on this a little bit in the, in the last few weeks. You know, probability just says that not all of these prospects are going to work out. Uh, when you take this many guys high in the draft, whether it's Josh Jackson or Mikhail Bridges or whether it's, 
uh, you know, Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender. I think, you know, we just have to be realistic and, and know that one of these guys is probably not going to work out over the other, particularly for the role that we expect them to play. And, and therefore, I'm totally fine if, say, Bender beats out Chris for the majority of minutes this year and, and really proves himself to be an NBA player. So, you know, I'm, I'm more hopeful for Bender than I am with Chris, but I'm, I'm certainly not low on either of them. Um, but I would expect, you know, one of them to probably play the majority of the minutes this year. Um, and, I, and I don't say that as a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's really going to be interesting to see those two this year because I think once we get to the end of their third seasons, there will be a big decision to make from Ryan McDonough's point of view because, as we've known before, when we talk to each other, he only has three more periods to really make a big impact and get that big star guy he's been talking about for the past five years. That's at February's trade deadline this next summer, the trade deadline after that in 2020. So how do you think it's going to go for Ryan McDonough if, let's say, the Suns finish between the 30 and 35 win mark, which I think is the most realistic barometer for this team right now, but... Do you think that's enough for them to attract a star free agent next summer or at least get them in the in the building, so to say, as far as like a Kemba Walker, a Kyrie Irving, one of those point guards that we always talk about that this team has the missing link of point guard left. So how do you see it going for the Suns this year if they do show improvements, but they aren't like exactly blowing the doors off as far as expectations go? How do you think it's going to go next summer? Yeah, it's difficult. I think there can be a lot of improvement this year, but it not so much show in the win column or, or definitely not in the kind of playoff standings. Um, I think the West is just so brutal that, um, you know, the Suns might still only have, let's say, 30 wins and be kind of second last in the West or something along those lines. And, you know, that doesn't look overly attractive from a black and white standpoint, but I think, you know, the on-court results could be still quite good compared to what we're you know, used to seeing in the last couple of years. So from that standpoint, it's it's a little difficult. Um, I don't think the Suns will be in the market for the kind of big top free agents in 2019. If we really want to go after a top-end talent, I think it's going to have to be via a trade. Um, and, you know, McDonough has cashed in a couple of those assets that he, that he had already. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I definitely think, you know, we'll have the money and be attractive enough to add some good NBA players. I'm just not sure, you know, with how much money is going to free up next offseason, I'm not sure they're going to be at the top of the pile for certain, you know, big free agents. But, you know, things change a lot in 12 months as well in the NBA, as we've seen in the last kind of 12 to 24 months. You know, if you said that Kyrie would be on Boston and, you know, Kawhi Leonard would have demanded out of San Antonio. I don't think anyone would have predicted those things, you know, 24 months ago. So things can change very quickly. You've got to change the on-court product first. That's kind of the big priority and let the other stuff kind of fall in when it can. Um, So, yeah, I would just kind of preach caution a little bit. I wouldn't put too much into the actual win total or where we finish in the West. It's, It's more about just seeing this team change the way it's played for the last couple of years and, really change perceptions I think as well maybe start to learn um or earn sorry a, an attitude from the league that these guys play hard you know kind of what Brooklyn's earned in the last couple of years I don't think anyone thinks Brooklyn's going to set the world on fire this year but you know they've really got this um you know characterization around the league of like not being easy beats and really playing hard for all 82 games of the season. And, and that's something I think that the Suns should really focus on this year to kind of change perceptions a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you there as far as the trade route. Sometime over the next 18 months, I think McDonough's going to have to do that and probably let go of one of the main young core assets in the process of getting a star player. But 
I'll get you out here on this last question here, David, and that's just your overall expectations for next season because if this is the roster in the next year, it's a, it's a vast improvement from where it's been the last year or two. But how do you think it's going to go on the court? Because I know you've talked you touched on seven seconds or less with Max before, but how do you think it's going to actually go for the, for the Suns this season? I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. I think there's still going to be some frustrating losses. Um, there's going to be some probably blowout losses too, somewhere you know maybe in the middle of the season when things just don't go quite right, maybe injuries hit, etc. But um, the way that the roster currently sits at the moment, uh, I really like the kind of overall talent base through the, the 15 spots. I think, as I said, it gives Igor a lot to work with. Um, maybe you know I've kind of advocated for another point guard pickup. I just think it would allow um, you know a little bit of flexibility there and, and not have a disaster season if if an injury hit to you know one guy for instance. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing that. But yeah, you know, I think we're just going to see a fun team. Uh, it's going to be fun to see this team play under Igor. Uh, obviously, as you noted, I'm a big Igor guy, so I'm very excited just to see how the you know on court product looks under him. And, and, you know, hopefully a lot of my thoughts have been justified when we see the Suns play some proper basketball. But, you know, I would just, as I said before, preach a little bit of caution as well. I, I think the, you know, overall win results and stuff aren't going to be uh, amazing compared to last year. But, you know, there's kind of a lot to already improve on from last year. And you know, I'm just excited. I think the the only other thing I would note with, you know, say McDonough is there's a lot of people kind of, feeling a little bit panicky about his, you know, situation with the front office and his kind of length of contract. But you know, I think we have to remember that he's essentially not allowed to do anything that his owner doesn't allow him to do. So when he trades away the Miami pick or, you know, when he gives Trevor Ariza $15 million, it's, you know, those kind of things have to be signed off by Sava. And I think it's a really good um, sign that Sava is doing these things. Uh, I think with the... Dudley trade, everyone kind of was very quick to say that it was another cost-saving measure, and instead it actually ended up being that, you know, the Suns spent money to bring another NBA body in, um, which is kind of going against what everyone was was trying to say against what, you know, Sava's been known to do. So I'm really encouraged by, I guess, you know, the on-court product, particularly, you know, I think because of their coaching decisions hasn't been great in the last few years, but... You know, some of the other stuff they've been doing, I've been kind of pretty excited about in terms of, you know, there's, I've, I've noted a number of times on Twitter specifically that, you know, there's kind of this difference um, between the rumors surrounding the Suns and then what actually eventually ends up happening. So, uh, you know, things like being linked to Griffin and Millsap a couple of off seasons ago. Um, and then those meetings being cancelled. And, you know, I think there's the, the Suns are linked to a lot of rumours because of their past, but what they've actually done is keep a really flexible roster. Uh, they've got an exciting roster for this season that has, you know, several options of where it can go in the future. And um, they just have to, you know, I guess to, to end on a point, they just got to change the culture. They got to turn this thing around a little bit um, and, and have a bit more of a positive image among the league. And then I think... The overall talent base, which everyone notes is very good from a young core perspective, is, um, you know, there's going to be plenty of options going forward for this franchise, I think. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a really exciting season for the Phoenix Suns. I think sitting through last year, 21-61 wasn't a fun experience, but it ended with Igor Kokoshkov, DeAndre, and Mikhail Bridges all joining the roster. So hopefully within the next three or four years when the Western Conference kind of eats itself eats itself out as far as like everyone going against each other with Nuggets, 
the Lakers, all these good teams at the top of the West, Rockets, for example, Thunder, they'll all be going down while the Suns are hopefully rising up. So it should be a nice core that they're going to have moving forward together. And I appreciate you coming on, David. I hope we can get you back on since you're on Brightside. Maybe get you on a couple more times during the season. Anytime, Evan. I'm uh, all for any opportunity to talk more Suns. So uh, happy to come on whenever you want. 